I'll be reading from uh, John 5, 1 through 9. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Beth Zatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to make me well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put into the pool. Put, put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And when I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well and took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. For the people of God. I don't know where you were 10 years ago this morning. Some of you might be, have been in the sanctuary or at home. At my house, about 7.30, the phone rang. It was my dad and mom. They were in Atlanta at, an air, at the airport about to board a plane and go to Seattle and then go on a cruise for 10 days. I don't know how much... You've been reflecting and remembering this week about the events that transpired when Katrina came on land. But I've been doing a lot of thinking and remembering. It's appropriate today that we have a moment of silence to remember those whose lives were lost for thousands of people whose hopes were dashed and for the even more thousands who responded. I invite you for just a moment as I light this candle to spend some time in silence. And then uh, you may view the pictures that we have on uh, the screen, just some random photos of Mark Kleinstead shared with me and some other folks. And then I'll invite you to stand and share in a moment of remembrance of and thanksgiving with a litany that I've written for us to share in this hour of worship.
Would you stand? If you're able. We remember the day Katrina changed the people of Mississippi and Louisiana. We remember days without electricity and conveniences we often take for granted. We remember the heat and the misery and the suffering. And in spite of our painful memories, we remember to give thanks to God who showed up, who showed his face of grace to us in the lives of those who showed up to shoulder our pain. We give thanks for restaurants that stayed open to provide comfort and hospitality. We give thanks for the opportunity Parkway Heights had to share in the response efforts. We remember that God is with us. We are not alone. We united in the mercy of God and in the grace of God to give thanks in every circumstance because of the matchless grace of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. George Gillespie and, and uh, some other gentlemen who are in the room this morning, all the names escaped me, went down to Buris as a part of a response effort and created a relationship with our church. Several of you participated in that rebuilding of their church. And George felt the need to go down and be with the congregation this morning. And so he has made his trip down south of, of New Orleans and uh, wanted you to know that uh, he'll be representing our church in that time of remembrance. Thank you for how you responded as a community of faith and how we continue to respond to the hurt and the pain in people's lives when disaster and destruction come upon us. This morning, I want to continue uh, the three-part series on grace in the gridiron. Last week, I talked about uh, and used images about holding and the things that that hold us back in life, things that we hold on for dear life, things sometimes we get in holding patterns, and then sometimes we just need somebody to come and and stand among us and hold us up till we get through a difficult situation. Today's image I'd like to offer you is the word blitz. Now, that's a term that, that describes the play of the defense, the team without the ball on the field. And they do something to the offense to disrupt their plan of scoring. A blitz occurs when the defensive team sends more players on the attack 
to block and create a loss of yardage and progress for the offensive team. Uh, if you watch football at all, uh, from peewee to, to the professional, that's what sometimes happens. Somebody doesn't get blocked, somebody gets through, and they either tackle the quarterback. I don't know how many times Peyton Manning has been blitzed over his career, but once or twice. Uh, and it can happen to the best uh, of, of teams and talents, uh, but it's a strategy that's used to, to stop the progress of a team trying to score. And it often adversely affects the outcome of the game. And so in this image, this metaphor of the blitz, how does that affect? apply to our Christian living into the scriptures. Thus, we turn to John 5 that Richard has just read for us a few minutes ago and that Dixie has already stole a lot on my thunder. Good job. It was wonderful. That's wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. So, Jesus enters Jerusalem. Probably Jesus had been hanging out in Bethany, which was a suburb of Jerusalem. Maybe he'd been at Martha in Mary's house, in Lazarus's house, but we don't know for sure. The Gospels are not written in some sort of linear narrative format, but we do know from John's Gospel that John, Jesus enters Jerusalem, and he goes throughout the city, and he goes to this particular place he's heard about. It's this large portico. That's a big room with arches, and there were these two pools, underground water systems, and in that community, it was like a big nursing home or a big facility where lots of people who were invalid, who, were, who could not walk, who were diseased, they all gathered. That was some kind of ancient health care place. Because they all gathered with the belief that there was in that ancient culture a, 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 a hoped experience that an angel of the Lord would come down and stir those waters there in the pools. And whoever could get into those waters first would be healed. We're not really privy to why Jesus was going there, but if you've read John's gospel, if you've ever studied John's gospel, one of the things you need to know, and if you haven't, I'm going to give you something free this morning. In John's gospel, the stories that we read are about a way in which Jesus reveals something about himself to someone. Back in chapter 4, just previous, you know where Jesus has been? He's been traveling, and he has to stop in Sychar in Samaria. And remember what happened when he stopped at the well in Samaria? He met a woman. And in that conversation, revealed to her that he was the one that everybody had been longing for, that he was the true Messiah of God. In that conversation, Jesus reveals himself to this Samaritan woman. In chapter 3, you remember the story? Jesus is at night, and he's approached by one of the Pharisees, a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and they have this long conversation about eternal life. And how can someone receive that eternal life? How can someone be born from above or language born again? And Jesus and Nicodemus have this conversation, and Jesus reveals to him what that means. And then if you go back one more chapter, in chapter 2, Jesus is at a wedding in Cana. His cousin's getting married. It's a long week's feast. They run out of wine, and Jesus saves the family from embarrassment by taking six water jars and provides wine, the best wine 
of the festival. John's gospel tells us when Jesus goes out, there's something about to happen in which he reveals who he is to someone. Jesus walks over to this man who's lame. Jesus learns that he's been lame and sick and lying there for 38 years. That's a long time. We don't know who tells Jesus of this man's circumstances, but he learns. And then Jesus walks over to the man. He looks at him. And he says, do you want to get well? That's pretty direct, isn't it? He didn't say, how are you feeling today, bud? I see you're laying down here. He simply says, do you want to get well? And the man looks up and says, but I don't have anybody to help me get in the pool. You see, every time I've, every, you, you just won't believe how long, every time I've tried to get into the water, something or someone has prevented me. I call that a blitz. Not just one play in life, but a blitz that has completely dispelled this man of any hope. And blitzes can do that to us. Blitzes can create some sort of a passive response. Well, if I... If somebody would just help me, I might get, well, I could change things, but nobody will help me. I could get better, but you know, after 38 years, it's just easier to sit here. I really don't have to change much, do I? I've kind of gotten used to this place. I found out this week that, do you know what the number one selling chair in America is and has been for years? The lazy boy recliner. That's absolutely correct. The lazy boy. I don't know about you, but I have one at my house, and it sure is comfortable. In fact, it's so comfortable, all I have to do is get somebody to give me one of those remotes. Usually, it's one of my kids that have it. But, man, if they give me the remote, I'm good. Saturday, next Saturday, or or most Saturdays, I'm good. I can flip those networks and keep up with all the scores. Or Sunday afternoon, Saints are playing, hey. I'm usually in, cruising in and out of sleep, but I'm in my lazy boy, man. It's good. You don't have to move. You don't have to change channels with your hand. Do you know that that, that metaphor works in life too? We get comfortable with where we are. 
Our physical comfort can affect and infect our emotional and spiritual comfort too. We just like the way things are. And behaviors and attitudes can be rationalized with, well, that's just the way I am. Deal with it. You ever heard that? We can also sit long enough and cover up our pain and our disappointment in about life, thinking that if we just don't think about it much anymore, it'll just go away. Have you ever heard about the fellow who lived down in South Alabama in a log cabin? He built that log cabin. He'd retired from life. He was about 40. And he's just sitting there on the front porch every day with his old dog, Blue. He and Blue would sit out there all day. He'd be in his rocking chair. Blue would lay down in the same place every day, and Blue would moan. And he would howl. One day his neighbor came and was sitting there on the porch with old Jim and Blue, and, and, and the neighbor said, Jim, why does Blue just lay there all day and howl and moan? said, I just wonder, why, why does he do that? What was wrong with old Blue? Jim said, he's lying on a nail. <laughs> why don't he move? Yeah, I know. But he ain't hurting enough to get up. And my lazy boy in my rocking chair on the front porch. And I never have to cultivate my talents, learn any new yo-yo tricks. See, life sends us a blitz. We just find it easier to remain passive. Or worse, we... we use a trump card that has convinced us that it's someone else or someone, some other circumstance that stands in the way of our healing. Or we play another card, that round to it. I'll change when I get around to it. Tomorrow, Next week, some, sometimes, so we don't have to confront stuff in our life that's got us down. Broken promises or disappointments, we let the blitz take us down. And we may even let voices around us bring us down to confirm what we fear most. In her story entitled Meridian, Alice Walker described a scene where one of her characters, Meridian, a young girl, discovers a big old chunk of metal in the dirt out in the woods near her house. Meridian gets down and painstakingly digs that big old chunk of metal out of the ground. She goes down to the creek and she washes it and discovers that she has a bar of yellow gold 
can't believe it. To her amazement, she takes that bar. She walks up the hill through the path up to the house where her mama is. And she says, look what I found. I found some yellow gold. And her mama says, child, I ain't got no time for yellow gold. Don't you see I'm up here shelling peas on this porch so we can have supper tonight? Just take that thing and go on away from here. So Meridian takes her bar of gold. And she goes back down in the woods and she puts it back down in the ground where she found it. And every once in a while, she would visit that bar of gold. But once in a while, wasn't enough because after a while, she just stopped believing. Is that what happened to the man who had been sitting at the pool for 38 years? Did he just stop believing? Did he lose hope or he just get used to his circumstances? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever just stopped believing? How often have you felt in your life that you were just lying by the pool? How often has your faith been lying by the pool with the same old answers as the complexities of life have gotten more confusing? We live in a very confusing world. We live in one of the most violent and barbaric worlds in history today. Have you ever felt that nobody really understands your questions or your circumstances? Are you just supposed to believe what you've been told? I just wonder what needs healing most in your life today. This man had no idea that Jesus had come to his circumstances with hope and a purpose for his life. He had forgotten the good news of grace. It took him a while to hear Jesus' question. Do you really want to be healed And my friends, that is still our question today. Can you and I hear that question that Jesus offers us from the Scripture this morning in our present circumstances? Or do we have something from our past that keeps us from avoiding the possibility that change, that a second chance is available to us? I am very mindful of the thousands whose secrets have been exposed in the Ashley Madison scandal. 3,000 people in Mississippi, some even here in Hattiesburg, I'm told. How did these folks hear good news while lying, waiting to know that they too have God's grace in their life for restoration? How do those folk hear good news 
And how can you and I offer them grace without judgment or shame if they're people that we know? Because some of you in this room may know. My friends, Jesus still makes his way toward any of us who've been blitzed by painful circumstances. As he made his way that day to that pool in Bethsaida, to the man lying beside the pool. Jesus comes for the least. He comes for the lost. He comes for the confused. He comes for the broken. He comes for the downcast. And he stands and he says, do you want to be made whole? Then get up. Get up. And when that man got up, something wonderful happened in his life. So what is the get up and walk for you and me today? Where is the part of our lives that need to respond to the grace of Jesus Christ that offers us hope? Is it in our personal life, in our relationships, in our family where things may not be what we want them to be, but it takes so much energy to get out of our lazy boy recliner stuff and do the hard work of restoration or surrender or a step. Is it professional? Is, has, has retirement been the disappointment? Have we not reached the goals yet in our circumstances because it's pretty tough out there? Or something or someone overwhelmed us and we feel stuck. I'm here to tell you this morning, my friends, the blitz does not have to determine your destiny. There is hope. You are not alone. How can our community, how can this worshiping community be a place where folk can find healing and not condemnation? How can we be a community where honest conversation and dialogue about things we differ become as important as those things that we hold in common? How do we follow Jesus when our methods or interpretations are not alike? And how can we truly continue to believe that grace alone is all that truly matters? What's the good news that we can celebrate today that helps us hear Jesus' call in our lives to get up. Because when we get blitzed, it takes some energy. Ten years ago this weekend, Katrina blitzed our state like no other force in history. In the path of its devastation, thousands of people lined by the pool waiting for help. But Jesus showed up in the lives of thousands of people from 46 states across our country. Ordinary people graced our communities with compassion and generosity. It was inspiring, and it caused people who'd been lying down to get up. Thanks to the first responders, the professionals who risked life and limb to begin the task of emergency rescue and recovery of missing persons, but hundreds of people just like you and me stood up side by side and shoulder to shoulder, neighbor to neighbor, and we went to work. And some are still at work today 
continuing to give second chances for people's lives. You see, when our deep desire meets with the word of Jesus and the person of Jesus, we can face a blitz and we can be healed. Sometimes it takes a while. It took 38 years for this man in our text and 10 years and counting for Katrina. How long will it be for you? Do you want to be made well? Get up. Get up and get with it. Because it begins with an open heart and a willing heart and an open mind. And the strength that God, my friends, is still at work in us and around us and sometimes in spite of us. I hope you can hear him today. That you'll put your trust in his word and in faith get up. Because wholeness is a process that begins with a first step. And it takes more steps to complete. But it begins with a first step to get up. Because, my friends, God's best work is restoration. You can bet your life on that. You can bet your life on it. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, let us pray. Oh, God, we confess that sometimes we've sat in our lazy boy because it was comfortable. Because we didn't have to challenge, we didn't have to hurt to grow through the pain of restoration. But we give thanks that you always come. And you say the words we need to hear most in our lives. I pray for those in this room today who may feel stuck, who may see themselves lying at the pool waiting and wondering whatever the blitz has been in our lives we pray that we will hear you today and we'll get up our church will get up and we'll keep going because you make it possible in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit Amen